Once again, it's my great joy to be able to share with you Southside Baptist Church. Pastor said it's been a few years since we've been here. It's been about 15, going on 16 years. Hard to believe it's been that long, but they have been wonderful years of ministry here at Southside, and we're grateful for the opportunity that God has given us to be part of the ministry here for these many years. We're going to be uh, focusing in a little bit on Psalm number 90, but I want to uh, remind you that this is a, uh, just as the title says, if you have your Bibles open, you'll notice that it says this is a prayer of Moses, the man of God. And the Bible doesn't call him a man of God. The Bible calls him the man of God. And Spurgeon said that's kind of significant because of the nature of who Moses was and unique character that he was. And in order for us to give it a little bit of background on Moses, I wanted us to turn back before we get into Psalm 90, Numbers chapter 12. And it gives us a little bit of background about God's dealing with Moses and who he was and some unique things that were said about him that are not said about every other man. In fact, Numbers chapter 12, some of you may know the story and what's covered here, but it has to do with Miriam and Aaron, and they're speaking against Moses, a jealous older brother and sister, kind of, because Moses was the little boy in the family, and here Moses was the one in charge and given all the privileges and leadership, and Miriam and Aaron were a little bit put out with Moses because he had taken an Ethiopian woman to marry, and they said unto him, in verse number 2, Hath the Lord indeed spoken only by Moses? Hath he not spoken also by us? Well, the Lord heard that. <laughs> now the man Moses, notice verse number 3. What does God say about Moses? That the man Moses was very meek above all the men which were upon the face of the earth. That's number one. I think that's a very unique testimony to have about who you are. You were the meekest man in all the earth. And that's what God said about Moses. And he continued in verse number four. And the Lord spake suddenly unto Moses and unto Aaron and unto Miriam, and he said, Come out, ye three, under the tabernacle of the congregation. And the Lord, verse number 5, came down in a pillar of cloud, stood in the door of the tabernacle, and called Aaron and Miriam. And they both came forth. And he says, Hear now my words. If there be a prophet among you, I, the Lord, will make myself known unto him. Notice how. In visions and will speak to him in a dream. That's the normal way of speaking to a prophet, God said. But verse number 7, again, something very significant about Moses. But my servant Moses is not so, who is faithful in all mine house. With him I will speak mouth to mouth. In other words, face to face, person to person. I, God, the Heavenly Father, the God of all the universe, I will speak to Moses face to face, mouth to mouth. That's how I communicate with my man. Very special very special man. And he'll see the similitude of the Lord and shall behold. And why are you not afraid then to speak of my servant Moses? So the anger of the Lord was kindled against them. Cloud departed and Miriam became leprous as a punishment for her sin. And what did, uh, what did Moses do? He besought the Lord 
Lay not this sin upon us. We're done. We have, we have done foolishly, and wherein we have sinned. And God said, Let her not be as one dead. She's leprous now. If father had spit on her face, she'd have to be banished for at least a week. So Moses cried unto the Lord, Heal her now, O God, I beseech thee. Now again, Mary, uh, Moses, the man of God, a man of prayer. And here again, what did he do in response to their rebellion against him? He prayed for the healing of Miriam. He had a love and a care, and he illustrated his love for the Lord. And so the Lord said unto Moses, If her father had but spit in her face, she'd be banished for seven days. And so for seven days she was shot out of the camp. But God did heal her, and she came back. And you'll notice the rest of the wilderness wanderings, they didn't have any problems with that kind of <laughs> rebellion in the family. God kind of put that, uh, put an end to that because of how Moses dealt with his sister and his brother. And God was a very unique uh, character when he had an opportunity to deal with Moses. Well, let's go back to Psalm number 90 now. I wanted you to give that background because um, we want to deal with Moses, the man of God, and as I've titled my message, also a man of prayer. And so we're going to take a few moments and go through Psalm number 90 and highlight some interesting things I trust will be a blessing to you. Let's bow in prayer as we begin. Father, thank you so much that uh, you've allowed us this time together to look into your word. We pray your Holy Spirit will direct our thoughts, give us liberty to share what the words you want us to and the thoughts and uh, the joys that are ours because we belong to Christ and we're part of your family. And you've done some miraculous things to bring us to where we are. And we thank you for all of mercies that we enjoy in Christ Jesus every day. And we pray your blessing on this sharing of the scripture in Psalm number 90 and the lessons that we can learn from it. And we give you praise in Christ's name. Amen. All right, let's take a, just a couple moments. And I want to highlight uh, just a basic outline of the chapter because uh, I, as I've seen it, I've, I've divided the chapter into uh, uh, four, four sections. And it has to do with... Um, God, our refuge, which is verses 1 and 2, and God, our judge, verses 1 through, or verses, um, not 1 through 9, but verses 3 through 9, and God, our wisdom, verses 10 and 12, and then the rest of the chapter is God, our satisfaction. Those are four things I want to focus on as we go through the messages this morning. So, thinking about God in verse number 1 and verse number 2, he begins by saying, Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. Now, notice he does not say, you will be God, you will be our dwelling place. But what does he say? Lord, you are my dwelling place. Not only are, you have been our dwelling place in all generations, all through the time of the existence of Israel and mankind, anybody who trusted in you, you became our dwelling place, our refuge. How many times did you find it reading through the scriptures in uh, Psalms, you would find David fleeing back to the rock, back to the refuge, back to God, back to the one that would meet him and be a shelter to him in the time of his struggles, in the time of his difficulties. Thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. 
Now, as I thought about that, I was amazed that it wasn't, you will be our dwelling place when we die and go to heaven. It was right now. God wants us to realize that he has placed any who put their faith and trust in him in his home, in his place of dwelling, in his place of refuge, in his place of repose. What do we find in our homes, I hope, anyhow? Uh, our Christian home should be a place of refuge. It should be a place of encouragement. It should be a place of joy. It should be a place where we encourage one another and lift one another up and build one another up. That's what Christianity is all about. And Moses uh, said that thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. Now, um, he had married somebody outside of the children of Israel, but God did not condemn him for that. I mean, after all, uh, Jesus himself came from a woman who had been a Moabite who married a Jew and became the great-grandfather of David, or great-grandmother, rather. And so here we are. In all of the situations in the Bible, God uses people in circumstances, and that, that didn't matter as far as God was concerned. That was not an issue as far as God was concerned. So... God, our refuge, our dwelling place, our home in all generations, from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. Revelation 1.8 says, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. That's Jesus and his testimony about who he is. And who we are in Christ, Ephesians 1.3 says, we are seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Not going to be already seated in heavenly places in Christ. That's what he's done for us as believers today. When we repent of our sin and put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ as our only hope of heaven, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us. The power of Jesus Christ lives within us by the Holy Spirit. And we are seated in heavenly places in Christ. And that's a wonderful blessing to know that we belong to God and he's done that for us. He is our refuge. He is our home. And we're going to go home to be with Him someday. It may be soon, it may be later. We do not know the time. But interestingly enough, one of the things unique about this passage is the setting. When did Moses write this song? Where were the children of Israel? What was going on in their life? We read something from Numbers chapter 12, and that was the beginning of their... A journey out of out of Egypt after they'd crossed the Red Sea, after they'd come out, and Moses had sung a great song leading the children of Israel in worship of the Lord, and Miriam and some of the other women had joined in worshiping the Lord, and that was the beginning of their their journey in the wilderness. When that went on for about a year and a half, before we had this. Uh, They sent some men to Israel to check out the land of Israel to see whether or not they could go in or take the uh, land of Canaan. I should say it that way because it wasn't Israel yet. But the land of Canaan was being examined by uh, 12 men. And they went and they came back with a uh, a report. Well, Moses, not Moses, but um, Joshua and Caleb came back with a good report. The other ten came back with an evil report. So who did the people join with? Not Joshua and Caleb. They joined with the ones that gave an evil report. And so, all of these people 
that had joined against Joshua and Caleb and Moses, God says, I'm going to punish you. Fact of the matter is, is Moses, stand back. Let me just take care of these people. I'll, I'll destroy all of them, and I will build of you a great nation. What did Moses do? He fell on his face before God and said, Oh God, no! Spare this people! What will the world say when they hear of you? You destroyed your people in the wilderness. You could not handle it. And so God relented and he listened to what? The prayer of Moses. The prayer of Moses. And, okay Moses, I'll listen to your prayer, but I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to banish these people that were alive 20 years of age and older to a wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. And that was to begin about a year and a half after they began their journey out there. And so, all of these people, this is a setting now for this psalm. That's why I'm bringing this up. Moses is writing this while they are in the desert, while they were in the wilderness, while they were suffering, while they were going through the trials, while they had the of running out of water. They didn't have any water. They didn't have anything to drink. They didn't, where are we going to go? How are we going to stay? Can you imagine two million people out in the desert? Can you, can you get a picture in your mind of what that was like? How many tents there must have been scattered all over everywhere? But Moses was in charge, and Moses was the man, and he had to meet the need. And when there was a need for water, he cried out to God, and God gave them water. And when he cried out for uh, food, God gave him food. Whether it was manna in the morning, meat in the evening, what, what happened? God uh, put it on the heart of Moses to pray, and God met the need again. He just spoke, and over and over again, a man of prayer, God met the need to the children of Israel while they were traveling in the wilderness. So here, God our refuge. Moses has found that to be true. Now verses 3 through 9, it, it looks a little bit different than what you might normally see as God our judge. But I want to point out some things to you in the context of this passage in verses 3 through 9. And if you look at verse 3, you'll see, Thou turnest man to destruction, and sayest, Return ye children to men. Well, actually, the destruction means just to go back to dust. Isn't that what God said was going to happen anyhow? We're all going to return to dust <laughs> when, we, when we come to the end of our life. And so, O ye sons of earth born to the earth, yep, it's a thousand years in your sight, or not but watching the night. But look at verse number five. Thou carriest them away as with a flood. Now, in the Amplified Bible, I found it interesting how they wrote this phrase in verse number 5. He says about God, You carry away these disobedient people doomed to die within 40 years. The writers in uh, the Amplified Bible wanted to make it clear who Moses was talking about and who God was talking about when he was talking about those that were going to be carried away. He was talking about those that were in the desert that were going to have to be, that were going to be judged. And they were going to die in the desert. Now, understand that every one of these people that had been judged by God were told, you're going to go into the desert and you're not going to go to the land of Canaan. We're not going to let you in because you disobeyed God. You didn't listen. And so you're going to die in the desert. They knew they had less than 40 years. They were going to die. So, a, 
a week goes by, a month goes by, two years go by. I wonder when I'm going to die. <laughs> yeah, and many of them dying. And over and over again, Moses had to deal with the funerals of people that were dying. And I don't know how many tens of thousands of people died. But understand, there were 600,000 plus men that left the land of Egypt. Not counting wives and children. So there's one and a half to two million people at least. And all of those that were 20 years of age and older were going to die in the wilderness. This is the context of the writing of this psalm. And Moses was praying. This is actually his prayer. This reminding God about what he was doing. Not like God didn't know. But <laughs> Moses, you know, sometimes we do that with God. We just go back to the... Uh, when, our, when we're praying, we can bring back up to God some of the things he said. Because he's going to... You know, he likes to use his word to meet our needs. He likes to use his word to direct us. He likes to direct our steps by his word. And so Moses was reminding that God, that he understood what was going on. And he says that you're going to carry away this disobedient people. It's like a flower growing in the morning and it just dies off. But verse number 7, again, an interesting way that, that the... This is written in the uh, Amplified Bible. For we, and this is Moses talking about we, the Israelites in the wilderness, for we are consumed by your anger and your wrath, and we are troubled and overwhelmed and frightened away. Now this was Moses speaking for him and the people of Israel in the wilderness. And he understood that they were living out there under the judgment of God. And as time went on, and they went through this whole series of uh, the life ending, when Moses ended up not being able to enter also, because there was a second time when God had to uh, produce water out of a rock, and God told Moses, speak to the rock, and it'll bring forth water. But Moses was brash, and I'll smite it again. And so he took the rod of God and smote the rock. It brought forth water, but to, con but to Moses' condemnation. Had he not struck the rock, had he just spoken to the rock, he would have gotten to lead the children of Israel into the land of Canaan. And sometimes, you know, even the best of men, pride can get the best of you. And Moses failed. He had, to pay. he had to pay, and his judgment was he would not get to go into the land. He would not get to lead the children in. He lived for 120 years, and he stood on uh, Mount uh, Gilboa. Well, was it Mount Sinai? Mount Gilboa? One of the big mountains outside of Jerusalem. Which one was it? Gilboa? Nebo, Nebo, you're right, that's right. It was neat. Now she's pointing to her knee. She knows the story because she's told it to the children so many times. <laughs> Nebo. <laughs> so Moses was able to see the land from the mount, but he wasn't able to go in. And God took him away and buried him privately, and he was no more. And Joshua took over and led them into the land of Israel. But this is the context of what we're dealing with here. And we see God dealing with the children of Israel in the wilderness as their judge. He condemned them to this time in the wilderness. 
He said, you did this before me and before all of the world, and you embarrassed me, you disobeyed me, you wouldn't follow me, you wouldn't trust me, and this is how you're going to die. Now, we're not told this in our life today. We're not told when we're going to die. We're not going to know how long we're going to live. We're not going to know whether it's uh, another 10 years, another 50 years. Uh, Pastor Bell and I are nearing that big 8-0, you know, not, not too far away. <laughs> um, and some of our dear friends have already gone that over, over that mountain of 8-0. And Jack's over 9-0. And some, some of our other good friends are uh, enjoying that blessing too. But you know, um, God wasn't trying to tell everybody regarding these uh, the number of our years because I, I was focusing on the fact that God wants us to have a heart of wisdom in dealing with our aging and growing old and facing eternity. And he says in uh, verse number 9, For all of our years, our days are passed away in thy wrath. And uh, we, spend, we spend out our years as a tale that is told. Uh, the, the Amplified reads this way, For all of our days out here in the wilderness says Moses, are passed away in your wrath. We spend our years as a tale that is told. For we adults know we are doomed to die soon without reaching Canaan. And that is really a reference to Numbers chapter 14, verses 26 through 35, where God has told the children of Israel, they will not get to go in, and you are doomed to die in the wilderness. And God was being reminded, Moses knows that. Okay, God, I know this is all going on. So, all right, well, what do you want us to do? Well, he says, um, verse number 10, the days of our years are threescore years and ten. How many years is that? Seventy. All right. And if they be uh, by fourscore years and ten, uh, or fourscore years, yet is their strength, labor, and sorrow, for it's soon cut off, and we fly away. Um, some of us are led to believe that that is the normal thing for life expectancy in our lifetime. Now, you realize, of course, that the only people that were being limited to that 70 years was those that had been in the wilderness and were going to die before they reached 70. They were going to die. They were not going to reach old age. God was going to cut them off because they were uh, doomed to die before they reached the wilderness or before they reached Canaan. Now, we know Moses lived to be 120. Aaron lived to be about 117, I think. Miriam lived to be 123. So, obviously, the 70 didn't apply to them, did it? <laughs> and the 80 didn't apply to them either. They had a long life. In fact, of the matter is, most of the people outside of those that were condemned out in the desert, Abraham, you look back before, so many people lived a long life. Of course, we know Methuselah was the oldest, but that goes back before the flood. But after the flood, even the generations after Noah, they lived to be 200, 300, 400, 600 years of age. Now, times have changed. Now, we're glad to live to be 70. <laughs> or 80, or maybe 85, or 90, 
you know, whatever God gives us. But listen, we do not know how much time God has given us. We don't have a time limit on it. I could die before I finish this message. We don't know. None of us sitting in this room know how long we're going to live. So, it behooves us to gain a heart of wisdom and teach us to number our days. That is, pay attention to every day that you have that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom and look for God to show mercy to us in the latter days of our life. So, we need to gain a heart of wisdom. We need to redeem the time in our life today. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse number 16. I wanted to turn there and read that with you. And then there's one in Colossians I'd like to read also. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse number 16. Some of you may be able to quote it, but I'm going to turn to it and read it. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse number 16. Redeeming the time... Because the days are evil. And the same thing is said in Colossians chapter 4 and verse number 5. Redeeming the time. Make good use of the time that God has given you. And I think the closing verses will help us get a better perspective on how we can redeem the time as we focus on what God is doing in providing us life and liberty every day. So, verse number 14 Uh, begins our section on the fact that God is our satisfaction. And I think sometimes we find ourselves in life not being satisfied with who God is and what God is doing in our life. Let me say that again. Sometimes we find ourselves not being satisfied with God himself or with what God is doing in my life right now. Some of you live in some very uncomfortable circumstances. Some of you are troubled and dismayed at circumstances that you can't change and that you are praying that God can change and will change. But in the meantime, how does God want us to face every day? What does God want us to do every day? Well, it could start off by this. Verse number 14 says, Oh, and we could insert, Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. Satisfy us early with thy mercy. Every day. Now, we were... Who knew? I didn't know that we were going to have this little insert on mercy in our... <laughs> in our book. And here, this is, this is a message about God's mercy every day. They're fresh and new every day, Lamentations 3 tells us. His mercy endures forever. Uh, he doeth great wonders. Uh, him that by wisdom made the heavens, stretched out the earth above the waters. Him that made great lights, sun to rule by day, moon and stars to rule by night. Oh, give thanks to the God of heaven for his mercy endures forever. Every day, start your day off by being satisfied with the mercy that God gives you the moment you wake up and roll out of bed. Well, at least you can get out of bed. At least you're breathing. (laughs) At least you have life. At least you have, most often, most of us have a comfortable home to live in. And we're, we're happy with what God is. But hey, be satisfied 
with God, not just with what he has given you. Or what he has done for you. Get yourself in his, in his home as a refuge. He is your refuge. He is your place of strength. He is your place of encouragement. He is, it's not the things that he does for you. It's not all that he brings into your life. It's him. What did Paul say about Jesus and wanting to know Jesus? That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto this, uh, unto his death. And of course, this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, pressing forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And what is that high calling? Just to be wrapped up in him. And have Him be our satisfaction. And have Him be everything that we need. And let the circumstances of our life take a second and third and fourth place. And rejoice every day that we have Him. And He has us. And He has the power to satisfy us if we'll let us. Notice the verse says, Satisfy us early with Thy mercy that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Remember the circumstances under which this was written. Moses was in the wilderness. People were probably dying almost every day. And he had to deal with death around him all the time. And here Moses is saying, let us be satisfied with your mercy that we may rejoice and be glad. God wants us to be glad every day. He doesn't want us to go through our life morose and saddened and despondent. He wants us to be glad in Him. Not necessarily glad with all the circumstances that we're struggling with. Not necessarily dealing with all of the inconveniences that we have to deal with. But satisfied with Him. Oh, what a joy it is to let our hearts be filled with His presence. And start our day with prayers of thanksgiving and gratefulness, and blessing, giving praise to God for himself, and who he is, and what he wants to be to us. And then, continuing in verse 15, not only dealing with those things, Moses said to God, Lord, make us glad according to the days wherein thou hast afflicted us. Moses was fully aware that he was enduring the afflictions that God had put on him. And he said, God, make us glad for the days wherein you have afflicted us. And here we are, some of us, we need to be allowing God to make us glad even though we're afflicted, even though we're hurting even though we're broken, even though we're disappointed, even though we can't see a light coming through the tunnel, even though our heart may be broken. God said, Moses said, God, make us glad. Make us glad in you and who you are. And let you satisfy us and get us through all of this. Not only in the days wherein thou hast afflicted us, but in the years wherein we have seen evil. This had been going on for years and years. And Moses is still praying, God, make us glad. Even for the years 
wherein we've seen evil. And Moses saw a lot of evil in the wilderness. We could spend an hour just recounting all of the things that Moses had to go through that was evil in the wilderness. But God met him and helped him be glad in those times of trial. And then in verse number 16 it says, Let thy work appear unto thy servants. That is, let the work that you're doing in your children be noticeable by other people. Your servants... There are people that are dying that are your servants. There are people that are going to die in the wilderness, and Moses is aware of this, that they had turned into servants of the Lord, but yet they were still going to die because they were under this judgment. And just because you repented and get right doesn't mean you don't have consequences. Sometimes there's consequences that are carried along with the sin of the past. And you have to deal with those. And Moses said, Let thy work appear in your, in your servants and thy glory under their children. Now, my wife and I have talked about this verse on occasion. She may remember it, she may not. But um, we like to think of our children as servants of the Lord, wherever they're serving. And we've often said to our children and to each other, we held our children with an open hand. We didn't try to tell them what to do, where to go, how to live, other than to follow the Lord and put God first, follow his word and be obedient to what God tells you to do. You can go wherever God wants you to go. We're not going to hold you back. We're going to hold you with an open hand. Well, God said, okay, I'll put them up and... Maine, and I'll put them down in Georgia, and I'll put them down in Texas, and you can be by yourselves wherever you are. <laughs> you don't get to see your grandchildren every day. Uh, some grandparents think that's a blessing. Uh, we think, well, we'd like to see a little bit more, but uh, that's the way it is. But, you know, to see God at work in your children, and then to see the glory in their children, the glory of God in their children. What a blessing it is to see grandchildren, not great-grandchildren. That's a, a triple blessing because we have three of them now. And we're watching, we're watching our grandchildren raise their children. And I guarantee you, they're doing a whole lot better dead raising, raising their children than we did ours. I mean, we watched them, and they were so gracious and so godly and so precious in how they trained their children. And I'm, where did they get all of that? <laughs> God, God's glory resting on them because of the heritage that was given to them by loving parents that trained them in the word of God and directed them to follow the Lord and directed them to do what God wanted them to do. And here we are, we want to see that work appear in the children and thy glory under the grandchildren. In the last statement, and I'll close with this because we're getting close to the time we want to have the Lord's table. Let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us, and establish thou the work of our hands upon us. Yea, the work of our hands, establish thou it. The beauty of the Lord our God. He wants it. Moses prayed that it would rest upon the children of Israel while they finished their wilderness wanderings. And in many cases, uh, you'll notice the stories about the children of those that rebelled against God, you'll notice 
when you get into Joshua, that it said of all of those that were that came through the wilderness and were children of those who disobeyed God, God saw them be faithful in honoring his word and his commandments when they started in the land of Canaan. Every one of the children that came through the wilderness wanderings, they became leaders in going into the land of Canaan. They became faithful followers of God, and they honored God all of the days of Joshua until they all passed off the scene. And then there was changes that begun. But for a generation, all of these children honored the Lord. And it was a great joy that God again answered the prayer of Moses, let your glory rest upon their children. And it did, and God was glorified in it. And that's the kind of life he wants us to live and be a blessing to one another and encourage one another in the things of the Lord. God has been gracious to us to bring us to faith in Christ and have an opportunity to love and honor and serve him. And we're glad that we have songs like we're going to sing here in just a minute. Man of sorrows, what a name for the Son of God who came. Let's stand together and pastor's going to come and we're going to sing together. Man of sorrows, what a name for the Son of God who came. And then uh, we'll just have uh, the Lord's table following. Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you for the Word of God and the precious realities and pleasures we get to enjoy at your hand. Thank you for your mercy. We bless your name for being God to us and meeting our needs uh, individually and as a corporate body. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.